Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC. One event UFC Vegas 78 was. We did very good predicting fights, and we also have a big upcoming card this next Saturday, August 19th, in Boston, Massachusetts, for UFC 292, so you know UFC is what's going to be on the mind for this episode. We've also got some football talk. That's right. The NFL preseason has kicked off, marking the Christmas Eve of sorts, if you want to call the NFL season Christmas. You know, we're just around the corner of the season beginning, which also means fantasy football. All right, we're going to be diving a lot into that in the upcoming episodes. I'm going to do a bunch of research. We're doing, I'm in two leagues right now. Going to try and get in the third. We're also working on getting a fantasy football expert on. We might be doing a live Zoom interview. Could be uploading that to the YouTube. Speaking of which, our episodes are now on YouTube. You can listen to the audios on the Surprise Jab podcast. That is the YouTube handle. The episodes did upload, like, randomly. Like, they are not in chronological order for some reason. I don't know how to fix that. I tried deleting them all and redoing it and they upload in the same fashion, so I can't quite say. On this episode, we're also going to be covering some new free agent signings, just some trades in general for the NFL, and of course, new fight announcements for the UFC. I am recording this on Tuesday the 15th. It's actually my dad's 60th birthday. Shout out Mark Ruger. Very happy to uh, celebrate it with him. But yes, the Contender Series, Season 7, Episode 2, is actually going down as I speak. And the the season finale of The Ultimate Fighter is happening later tonight. So I will not be covering both of those on this episode, maybe on the next. I believe I'm only going to have one episode this week. I am quite busy. I'm moving into college uh, Sunday. So I'm kind of wrapping up work, wrapping up stuff around here with my girlfriend, with my family. Just getting all stuff done. Actually, I get my tires rotated coming up Thursday and get a haircut. That's right. I, I'm i not too high on getting haircuts personally. I just always feel they never turn out well. But I mean, usually when I go short, because I usually let my hair grow pretty long. Uh, when I go short, it usually takes about a week, two weeks for it to get to a good length where I can style it well. But, you know, I just feel like that's a pretty relatable thing. I, I always want to do like something ambitious, like a fade or like a... Like a mohawk. I never. I don't think I could do a mullet or anything like that. But I always just end up doing like an average old haircut. So who knows? Maybe I'll spice it up this time. We'll see. We'll see. But let's dive into everything that's happened recently in the UFC world and the NFL world. Because once the season kicks off, we will be doing some more NFL coverage. I don't really know how my class load's going to be as to how much free time I have. But I'm going to be looking to put some more effort into this. Do some more research towards surprising topics. Also working on some, uh, maybe some more episodes. I, three in a week could be very ambitious, but uh, we like to be ambitious, you know. Staying busy is important, but also relaxing is also very important, I have found. So let's get kicked off with some new fight announcements, and then we'll de- dive into some NFL news. Recap, UFC Vegas 78, Vicente Luque versus Rafael Dos Anjos. And maybe go over a couple other things. Then we will end with our UFC 292 predictions. As the fights are still changing, we actually have a fighter stepping in 
who just fought on UFC uh, Vegas 78 to fight on UFC 292, looking to make some history. So very exciting. Let's dive in right away. Starting off with a big announcement, which dropped yesterday as the anticipated debut of Sharabutin Magomedov. He'll be taking on Bruno Silva at UFC 294. You may have heard that name and thought, Zach, what did you just say? But get this, Sharabutin is the number one middleweight in Russia, according to his bio on Instagram. He's got 193,000 followers. He is most notable, appearance-wise, for being blind in his left, I, I believe his right eye. I think it is. He had an incident when he was younger or something. He credits himself as 17-0. The UFC has him listed as 11-0, so I guess we'll see what his official record is. There's a clip online of him in a jiu-jitsu tournament, I believe, or maybe it was a sambo tournament, where his opponent did something that, like, I don't know if he slapped him or something or, like, didn't release a submission, and he just, like, flips out on him and, like, kicks him. And, you know, he's almost like the villain of sorts debuting into the UFC. He's got the look. I believe he's had some other incidences out of the cage or the octagon, whatever circle he's been fighting in. Who knows what they fight in Russia, honestly, but very anticipated for his debut. And as for Bruno Silva, very much looking forward to seeing him return. He's he's always an entertaining fighter. I mean, he, he is coming off a big win over Brad Tavares. Had a knockout, and he's actually, um, he was a champion in M1 Global. Multiple performance in the night's bonuses. Bruno Silva always loved to see him, but UFC 294 is currently looking like card of the year. I mean, 292 and 293 also looking very good, but 294 in Abu Dhabi, man. You got Islam and Charles Oliveira. You've got Paulo Costa and Hamzat Jemaev. I mean, Nazardine Imavov will be taking on Ikram Al-Kasserov for any casuals watch that fight there's also other ones i believe muhammad mokayev will be taking on tim elliott you will have magomed ankalaev taking on johnny walker all those names keep track of them 294 is going to be amazing speaking of a, another big event towards the final quarter is it i believe it's quarter of the year we now have officially Curtis Blades versus Halton Almeida in the main event in Sao Paulo. The UFC officially tweeted it, put on all their socials that it's going down. This will be happening in Sao Paulo, Brazil, November 4th. Oof, that's going to be very good. If no one knows, Curtis is currently ranked number 5 in the heavyweight division. Halton Almeida is currently ranked 9. I believe Halton has oof, some insane. He's like on... A huge win streak. He has like six finishes in the UFC, five finishes. He has looked unstoppable. Curse Blades on um on a bit of a stretch of sorts. That is, I actually, you know what? He's just coming off the Sergey Pavlovich loss this past April, so I won't knock him too much. But Curse Blades is in a very awkward spot in the division, so hopefully he can bounce back. For any. People that know Chris Curtis was actually supposed to fight Anthony Hernandez on the September 16th UFC Noche card. He is out. In comes Roman Kopilov. Roman Kopilov in for Chris Curtis to take on Anthony Hernandez. The winner of that should be getting a ranked opponent in the middleweight division. Early prediction, I get Anthony Hernandez by probably decision or submission. He's a grappling ace. Very talented. Happy to see him return also announced Joshua Van versus Kevin Borges at UFC 295. Joshua Van, the 21-year-old, debuted against 
ooh, I think it was Zalagas Zumalaga, if you know, the guy with the funny haircut. He is, like, on a ridiculous losing streak. Lost so many fights by split decision. He's coming back, 21 years old. Kevin just fought Kevin Borjas, that is. And hopefully that fight stays put because I love seeing these young guys, 21 years old, 20 years old, fighting in the UFC. It's really inspiring to me as a 20-year-old to how much you can work towards something to achieve it. And I'm probably going to be looking more towards that in the business aspect of things. I don't really have a set goal in mind. Maybe just maybe a set amount of money, maybe owning my own house, uh, having a job I enjoy, st- sticking with stuff. Lots of different things that go on. I'm always fluctuating between different hobbies and sorts, but seeing these guys in MMA, I mean, Raul Rosas Jr. had won his contender series fight at 17 years old, won a UFC fight at 18 years old. Gotta finish. Gotta finish. That is a UFC record. Heading to the bantamweight division for our next fight that was recently announced as number 15-ranked Chris Gutierrez will be taking on Montel Jackson. Chris coming off a loss to Pedro Munoz sadly ended his big win streak, which included wins over Frankie Edgar and Batagaro Dana. Whew. Very sad seeing him lose to Pedro in fashion, but Montel Jackson deserves it. He's on a big win streak. Happy to see him finally get a shot. Other than that, I mean, Adesanya versus Sean Strickland was made official, I believe, a bit ago. We've had some, we have actually a fighter in Neil Magny who will be stepping in to take on Ian Gary at UFC 292. We'll get to that in a bit, stepping in on like 10 days' notice. But other than that, I mean, we'll have our final, cont- uh, not contender, ultimate fighter fight announced as we'll find out if Rico DeCilio or Cody Gibson will be taking on, oh, what's his name? Brad Katona at UFC 292. So those are some of the new fights on the radar. Uh, we'll, we'll be getting into some other uh, ones that are happening on the upcoming card. But, I mean, not too much has transpired in the last week in as far as fight news has been announced. But the big one has probably been the Bruno Silva versus uh, Shara the Bullet. Magomedov, I mean, that's his nickname, is The Bullet. If that isn't intimidating, I don't know what is. Speaking of some new, gosh, what word would you use? Announcements. Two star running backs from the past few seasons now have new homes. That is right. So, switching into the NFL topic of things. Dalvin Cook has a new home. And you may be wondering, Zach, where is Dalvin heading? Is he heading back to the Vikings? Heck no. Is he heading to a rival team? The Bears, the Lions, the Packers? Nope. He is going to the New York Jets. How did the Jets get Dalvin? That just seems unfair. The Jets are cooking up something this season, or maybe the NFL is. Maybe it's the NFL. They know that the Vikings are going to be unstoppable, okay? And they're like, you know what? We're just going to send your former running back to the Jets, even though they're not even in the same conference, so they don't really correlate at all. But, I mean, yes, good for Dalvin. I believe he signed a one-year $8.6 million deal, so pay my boy Dalvin. I do love Dalvin Cook. It's I will be rooting for him on the Jets. I don't know if I can pick him up fantasy-wise. I mean, Brees Hall is such a dog, but Dalvin Cook is starting material. So I'm very confused what the Jets are going to do. I don't know their official depth. At running back, but I mean, Brees Hall is just 
I feel like he should have been the set starter. So either they're bringing in a veteran like Dalvin Cook, who's not even too big of a veteran. But who knows? But sticking with that division, that is the AFC East. Ezekiel Elliott, now no longer on the Cowboys, is on the New England Patriots. That is shocking. I did not expect the Patriots to sign Ezekiel Elliott. Sort of a career rebirth of sorts. Kind of sucks for any fancy owners with Ramondre Stevenson. Because oh, Ramondre was super good last year, but I guess I guess they're taking it Zeke. So you now have Dalvin and Zeke coming into AFC East locker rooms where the teams already had young starting running back. So I don't know wh- who's going to be playing come game one, game two, game three of the season. But I suppose we'll see. Just very happy both of those guys are on teams. I mean, I'm not the biggest Zeke fan, but I am a Dalvin Cook fan. Man, Vikings, I don't even know if I can call him a Vikings legend, but he had so many good moments on the Vikings. It's a shame to see him go. It's a shame to see him go. I feel like Dalvin Cook and Carl Anthony Towns give off the same vibes. I just feel maybe Carl Anthony time Carl Anthony Towns is time to go as far as NBA world is concerned, but We'll see. Very happy for both those guys. Switching over to the QB position, the Indianapolis Colts have officially named their rookie QB Anthony Richards as their starting QB. The Colts just signed Gardner Minshew, and it's unfortunate to see that he will not be in the starting position, but I'm very happy to see what Anthony Richards is doing. I know a lot of Colts fans were upset of sorts the Colts fans are an interesting breed I don't really know what goes on there but they are very they get very hostile when they booed Andrew Luck for retiring that had me all amped up but I, I can actually kind of see why they were mad because they bought season tickets and then he retired but hey that's just that Anthony Richardson was the quarterback for the Florida Gators so I'm very excited to see what he will provide for that team which reminds me of Madden 24 actually haven't bought Madden this year. I don't know if I'm gonna. I'm gonna try and remain adamant. I'm gonna try and not spend so much money on video games. The last games I bought were Mafia 1 and 2, which, I mean, probably when I start back up The Sopranos in a couple weeks. I'm trying to finish The Sopranos. I'm on, like, Season 5, Episode 8, so I'm almost done with that series. But it just puts me in such a Mafia mode that I scale sidetracked. Like my conversation right now. So, yes, Anthony Richardson, uh, Good for him. I'm trying to think if there's been any other news. I mean, the preseason has been kicking off. I've seen a couple good highlights and stuff of rookie QBs of sorts, just some unnamed QBs, some third strings and stuff, even the starters. I didn't see that the Broncos look horrendous. Their starters do not look promising whatsoever. Uh, I think that was in, I think that was in one of their losing efforts. I don't know. I just don't really watch the preseason. Because I feel it's not necessary. I mean, I guess I guess you got to pick out who's going to be some of your backups and sorts. Who are you cutting from the roster to get your official 75-man roster? But, I mean, these games don't matter. They, they hold no value. And I feel like it's just a money grab for the stadium, for the promotion. And do I blame the NFL? No, if you can get away with that. That is such a smart business mo- move. But as a fan, I just I could not be interested because I've watched preseason games in the past. I've attended preseason games, and there's just a point where I go, this game doesn't matter at all. Not at all, but 
I will say the Jets blowing out the Panthers 27-0. Very impressive. Whenever you can hold a team to zero points in any regard, even for preseason, it's impressive. The Raiders blowing out the 49ers. Also very uh, interesting to see. But, I mean, at the end of the day, these just don't matter. They don't matter. We have, I believe all of our first games are done. The second games will be played from August 17th to August 21st. And then we will have our third and final preseason games for every team played from August 24th to August 27th with the NFL season kicking off. I think it's, is it after Labor Day? I believe it's after Labor Day, if I'm not mistaken. I honestly can never remember, but heck, that's just how it goes. I I try to recall. It was it. Um, I believe it was C.J. Stroud. I saw or it was either Bryce Young. I think it was C.J. Stroud, who he's not. He's the Texans' new QB. Was he the number two draft pick? I think it is. Ooh, I can't remember honestly. Did the Texans have the number one, or was it the the Panthers? Oof, I cannot recall, but it 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 doesn't even doesn't even matter. Doesn't matter. Maybe it does. We'll we'll go over it. But yes, I saw one of those two guys. They had a horrendous debut. They were throwing picks on third down, getting sacked. And then I say this, and I think like it doesn't matter. You know, it, it, it everything just comes down to how you perform during the season. That is, at the end of the day, what matters most. So any of these guys that may be struggling, I mean, I don't, I can't really knock you. I cannot really knock you. I do, I do feel some sympathy for them. It is not easy to play in the National Football League whatsoever. But yeah, fantasy football wise, I'm very amped up to be what to be watching some NFL season and to be playing along. I believe I'm in a twelve. I'm shooting for is it a twelve man league? I believe it's a twelve man league or maybe it is a ten man league. And then I'll be working on either a four-man or six-man league. And I'm also trying to do another league. I love fantasy football. I've saved a bunch of videos. I have my own personal notes. I'm going to create what I think are some valuable fantasy football notes just from all around. And we'll talk about them in a future episode. But as for now, I mean, all I'm seeing is Justin Jefferson, number one. Christian McCaffrey, number two. Jamar Chase, number three. Austin Eckler, four. I mean, I'm seeing all sorts of things about who people should take and who they shouldn't take. I've been seeing this is the this is the season to stack wide receivers instead of running backs that quarterbacks can drop far. I don't know. I do know I am I am not taking as many risks. If there's a big name on the board, I will take him because Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill never seem to fail for points every single season. You may and every season I think maybe this is the year those guys fall off and it's not. They continue to put up insane numbers. But I did see something in a magazine for a, like a fantasy football, official fantasy football magazine, that they had Jalen Waddle ranked higher than Tyree Kill, which does not make sense. So I will not be buying any magazines you find at the store or anything to get any of my knowledge whatsoever. That is, that is just silly. That is honestly just silly. You have to understand who your wide receiver one and your wide receiver two are. When it comes to Vikings... I mean, I feel it's clear-cut Justin Jefferson. I don't even know who could be number two. Maybe Jordan Addison one day. Really hoping Jordan Addison could pop off. Um, I'm trying to think of a good comparison. Uh, I guess the Chiefs. Chiefs kind of, Travis Kelsey is just, 
target number one in general, even though he's the tight end. Um, I'm sure I can think of other teams. I, I really should focus more on my NFL notes. I always make more UFC notes than NFL notes. That's because I know more about UFC as much as I do know a lot about the NFL. Chiefs are the defending champs. If I can make a prediction right now, probably going with the Vikings. I mean, I'm you got to ride with your team. I won't lie. I got the Vikings merch. I got the Vikings jersey, the signs, the boards. I'm, this is our year, guys. I'm telling you that the Minnesota Vikings are winning the 2024 Super Bowl. You heard it here first. Captain Kirk, Jay Jettis, and whatever nickname we give Jordan Essen. But Addy, I don't like that. Addy is not a good nickname, but... That's all I really got for football. I mean, I have to make a lot more notes. I have to go over everything. And preseason, is there even a point? Because I can go, oh, hey, this third-string wide receiver caught a pass after it was jumbled by a safety. You know, I guess I guess we could do that, technically. But we're not going to. We're going to transition into my favorite part, which you should be passionate about something if you're going to do a podcast about it. And I am passionate about the UFC. So without ado, let's dive into our recap. Of UFC Fight Night, Luque versus Dos Anjos. One of the more rare events where the prelims actually outshined the main card. That is the story for UFC. Fight Night, Luque versus Dos Anjos. I call it UFC Vegas 78, which basically means this is the 78th event they've had at the UFC Apex, which is in Las Vegas, not the 78th event the UFC has had in Las Vegas because they have had a Whew, quite a few in Las Vegas. I mean, every single prelim on this card was a finish. Do you know how rare that is? I don't know how many times it's happened in UFC history. Not a lot. We actually could have had the most finishes on UFC history if it wasn't for some unfortunate fights. And we actually did not have a fight of the night for, I think, the fourth straight event. Last fight of the night was at the Aspinall Tarbira, UFC London. When was that? July 22nd. So it has been... We are, we are nearing a month since we've had a fight of the night, so hopefully we have one this Saturday because there was no fight of the night at the, at this event. There were only performance bonuses, and I think they should have given out more than they did, but we'll get into that in a second. So kicking off the card, as always, I feel we always have a women's fight to start off the night, this time in the women's flyweight division, as Luiana Santos took on Juliana Miller. And guess what? A round one TKO for Luiana Santos, making her UFC debut. She moves to 6-1. and one. For Julianne Miller, she now falls to 0-2 in the UFC after winning the Ultimate Fighter in her uh, debut. She's now 4-3 and three professionally. I was very happy I picked Luiana Santos. And as far as picking for this event goes, I believe we went either 6-1 and one or 7-0 and oh for the prelims unofficially. Officially for the main card, we go four and two on our picks, moving us to eighty-eight and fifty-six for the year, and four hundred fifty-nine and three hundred thirty-three for all time. So we are up now over a hundred and twenty-five picks. I do think I do say that's pretty good. I, I I do say that is very good. I do pat my own back. But yes, congratulations to Luiana Santos. I did predict she would win, and she did in dominant fashion. Julia Miller. Does not look like she's a good fighter. I don't know how she won the Ultimate Fighter. She must just have had some bad woman in her in her weight class. But there we go. And let's get into our next fight because it is very interesting for two main reasons. Well, well, first off, 
Damon Blackshear submits Jose Johnson in round one. Very impressive, Damon. Now on a two-fight win streak, both finishes. As for Jose, this was his UFC debut after winning on the Contender Series. Unfortunately, you got submitted, but that's how it goes. But big congrats to David Jackson as he gets the third twister submission in UFC history, earning him one of the performance bonuses for the evening. Very well-deserved of a performance bonus. Very well-deserved. Took him down multiple times, locked in the twister, and that was it. Congratulations to Damon Blackshear. And people were all talking about, like, oh, what should be next for him? What should be next for him? Until we found out earlier this week, Cody Garbrandt pulled out of his fight against Mario Batista at UFC 292. Mario Batista did not have an opponent. So what does David Blackshear do? He steps in on seven days' notice, which is more like six days' notice. Let's be real. It was more like six five, six to five days' notice. Um to take on Mario Batista at UFC 292. So we will actually be predicting his fight also on this episode. But congratulations to David Blackshear. So ha- so happy he's turned around. It just, it really brings a smile to my face. And he has, he got a twister submission. That's insane. Very well deserving of a performance bonus. Moving on to our next fight in the women's strawweight division as Jacqueline Amorim faced Contes... Ooh, Contaseret Conijo Ruiz. I had my girlfriend pronounce that. She actually nailed it. As for me, kind of butchered it. Sorry, sorry, Montezeret. But what I'm not sorry for is the fact that Jacqueline Omorum demolished Montezeret. I mean, this was a round three TKO from her. Could have very well 10 her in both round one and round two. Let me read you these stats. Let me read you these stats. Jacqueline Omorum had 30 significant strikes in round one. Montezeret had one. Total strikes, 40 for Jacqueline, 5 for Montessarit. Control time, 4 minutes and 14 seconds for Jacqueline. That's crazy. Moving into round 2. 43 significant strikes for Jacqueline, only 2 for Montessarit. Total strikes, 69 Jacqueline, 7 for Montessarit. Another 3 minutes and 42 seconds of control time. 4 recognized submission attempts. She definitely had more. But man, Jacqueline was on fire. Actually ended up getting controlled a bit in round three, but managed to find her way to top, get some ground and pound, and that was it. Total stats, 86 significant strikes to six in favor of Jacqueline, 141 total strikes to 20 for Montessarit. Jacqueline was on fire, and after losing her debut against Sam Hughes, this is such a big way to bounce back. And As for Montessarit, two-fight losing streak, but finished bad in both of them. I don't know what more to say. Don't know what more to say, but oof. Jacqueline, honestly, you get you get a performance bonus from me for how dominant you were. I recognize the fact that you destroyed Montessarit. Excellent work from Jacqueline Amora. Next up, and I mean another round one finish. The, the, this this had to, could have been the shortest event in UFC history if if there had been some long decisions, including the main event. But I mean. Another big one here, as Martin Boudet submits Josh Parzian in the heavyweight division, a Kimura in round number one. Now, I was to say, Martin just looked like he was getting the better of the exchanges, took him down, locked in a Kimura. That's that. I mean, not much to say, but I will note that Martin Boudet now moves to an impressive 13-1 professional record, 4-0 in the UFC, 5-0 if you include the Contender Series, which I do. Martin 
gets his first a fit gets his first UFC finish. Since you don't count the contender series, very weird. Don't ask me, but very happy he gets the victory. As for Josh Parson, he now moves to he's on a two fight losing streak since twenty twenty since w- winning a contract on the contender series. He is now two and four in the UFC. Yikes. But man, Martin Boudet, very happy for him. And honestly, could be looking at a ranked opponent. And I think he should be when you have a win streak like that in the heavyweight division, which is desperately needing of new talent. You could have him fight Marcos Orgeos de Lima. You could have him fight Marcin Tebura. I like Marcin Tebura. I'm I'm hearing traction that Derek Lewis might be fighting Jarzinho Rosenstruck at UFC 295. So I will not put in his name against Derek Lewis. Oh, by the way, Derek Lewis did sign an eight-fight deal in the UFC. I don't know if anyone meant. If I don't know if I mentioned that in the last pod, I forgot when that dropped. But yes, an eight-fight deal for Derek Brunson, very big. We're gonna have Derek the next couple of years. But yes, I do like Martin Boudet versus Marcin Tibera. I feel they have similar styles of sorts. Hopefully, hopefully not chins because Marcin got absolutely destroyed by Tom Aspinall. Anyways, move it on. Good job to Boudet. Another round one TKO as Isaac Dalgarian finishes Francis Marshall in round number one. The fight lasted four minutes and 48 seconds. Control time for Isaac Dalgarian, four minutes, 18 seconds. Domination. 35 significant strikes to only two. 61 total strikes to 11. He went one for one on takedowns. And it was an elbow to the head from top mount, which ended this one officially. And what you, if you might not know about Isaac Dalgarian, is that he actually was, what was he on, the Contender Series or something? He he either wasn't going to be on it or he was on it. It doesn't say on his the UFC website if he was or wasn't. But I do know he was supposed to get a UFC full send contract or something, you know, the Nelk Boys. And it never came to fruition. And he was actually relying on that and waiting to fight so he could get money from a sponsorship. And they just ghosted him. So he had been living in an RV, living in his car. Basically homeless of sorts. Until he was finally able to get a win here. And you may think the UFC was feeling kind. Would give him a performance bonus. They did not. I felt he deserved it more than... Oh no, actually. He he just deserved one. That's all I'll say. He was very deserving of a performance bonus. It's a shame we didn't give it to him. But hey, Isaac Dalgarian is now 6-0. All round one finishes. The Midwest Choppa lives on. As for his opponent, Francis Marshall. Francis, you're now on a two-fight losing streak. Very unfortunate, but he's like 23, 24 years old or something. He'll bounce back. He'll bounce back. I have no doubt. But let's get into a notable name as Terrence McKinney took on Mike Breeden in the lightweight division. Terrence McKinney slowly becoming a fan favorite of sorts. He's able to finish Mike Breeden in a minute and 25 seconds. I will have to say I did not see it coming. 30 significant strikes to one. I mean, Mike had nothing to offer Terrence T-Rex McKinney. My goodness. I mean, I just... Terrence just looked on point today, and he took this fight on short notice, and he was definitely, definitely upset. Terrence had had two fights earlier this year. Been finished in round two in both of them. The last one against Nazim Sadikov. He might have 10 8 him in round one. Definitely won round one. And then just lost it in round two. It was sad to see. But a big bounce back win here. I'm happy to see what Terrence has to offer. And he moves to 14-5 and five in his UFC career. 
As for Mike, he's probably going to get caught. He is now 0-3 in the UFC, 0-4 if we include the Contender Series, a 10-6 professional record, and he's been finished. He's actually been knocked out in round one in two of those fights. Now, he has fought some legit people, Alexander Hernandez, Nathan Levy, and Terrence McKinney, but, I mean, you, you have lost him. You know, unfortunately for Mike, Terrence took this on short notice. He's a dog. He put him out in one. Terrence McKinney, now 19 professional MMA fights. Zero have ever gone the distance. So, good stuff for Terrence. I'm happy to see what's next for him. I don't really know. I mean, lightweight is such a broad division, but I'll be happy to see him return. I think he was saying he wanted to return at, like, UFC Paris, which would be a very quick turnaround, but we shall see, as always. And with that, we got into our final prelim of the night, our headlining prelim was Marcus McGee, who took on J.P. Byes. I believe J.P. stepped in on short notice to fight this. This fight lasted 2 minutes and 19 seconds. Marcus McGee put him out with one punch. I do feel bad that J.P. got knocked out, but that's the price you pay for taking the fight. Marcus McGee moves to 2-0 in the UFC, 8-1 overall. In both his UFC fights, he's gotten a performance bonus, so he's $100,000 richer this year as he had last fought in April, by the way. As for JP, I just got to point this out. JP buys. Now 9-6 and six professionally. Is 0-4 in the UFC, 1-1 one one on the Contender Series. In all of his four UFC fights, he's been dropped. So through four UFC fights, he has been knocked out an astounding nine times. That is That has to be a record. That has to be a record. He's been knocked out in three of them. And, I mean, he's now been knocked out in a minute against Cody Durden last year and two minutes against Marcus McGee this year. So, I doubt J.P. Byes will be back in the UFC. But, hey, if you ever need a surging contender like Marcus, or not really surging, but just a contender like Marcus McGee to knock out someone, bring in J.P. Byes. He, he will definitely get knocked out. Unfortunately for J.P. Byes, but Marcus McGee actually gets a performance bonus. I won't lie, I would have probably given it to Dolgarian over McGee, but I'll let it slide because I like Marcus. So yeah, that was the prelims. I couldn't recall if I had picked Francis to beat Isaac. I probably did. So that's all I'll say. I either went 7-0 or 6-1, so impressive prelim predicts from me. But let's get into this main card. We're actually doing pretty good. 4-2. and two. And we'll talk about, I should have been 5-1. and one if I'm being honest, but let's get into that. So I didn't catch all these fights. I did catch the three or two that I thought were most important, but kicking us off, we had, kicking us off, we, off, we had Josh Fremd taking on Jamie Pickett. Josh Fremd gets the unanimous decision. I did predict him to win. Um, significant strikes in favor of Josh, 31 to 14. Total strikes, 59 to 26 for Josh. Takedowns, Jamie lands two of three. Josh never even, sh actually Josh shot three times, so takedowns in favor of Jamie, but the control time, three minutes for Jamie, seven minutes and 15 seconds for Josh Frem. So Josh gets the 30-27 across the board. Now on a little two-fight win streak. Good for him after starting out his UFC career 0-2. He improves to 11-4. and Happy to see what Josh has next. As for... Jamie Pickett, I mean, oof, 0-4 in his last four fights. He's been finished in three of them and in the UFC. He's actually fought the Contender Series three times, 1-2 on there, 
in the UFC. He is now two and six. I assume he'll be cut. Pit- pitiful performance from Jamie Pickett. Moving on, uh, Tafan and Chukwe. You know, Josh Frem actually missed weight and won. I couldn't get away with both of them. Tafan and Chukwe drops a decision to A.J. Dobson. A.J. Dobson snapping a little two-fight losing streak after coming off the Contender Series. Moving to 7-2 and two professionally. As for Tafan, he is now on a three-fight losing streak. 6-4 and four overall, so not too hot. Ugh. Alright, so for the fight, I mean, AJ had more significant strikes, 67-53. Total strikes, 98-59. Two takedowns, 4 minutes, 33 seconds of control time. I believe Tafan was able to win one round. I believe it was round two, maybe. But other than that, this was all AJ Dobson. Good for him. No- nothing happened in this fight worthy of uh, wasting any more time. Wasting any more air time, per se. I do apologize for the listeners uh, if I sound a bit stuffy. My allergies are really kicking in. Fall's coming around the corner, and that's when they usually start getting going. So if I sound a bit odd at times, that's what it's from. But I'm still here giving you guys the rundown. Moving on to our third performance bonus of the night as Yasmin Lucindo submits Poliana Viana in round number two with an arm triangle. Yasmin Lucindo, 20 years old. I believe, or is she 21? Yeah, she's 21 years old, so she's just about my age. 15-5 and five professional record in MMA. Now, 2-1 and one in the UFC. And her debut was against Yasmin Jarugai, who, that was an excellent fight. And she gets $50,000 for beating Poliana Viana. Poliana, sorry you lost. I mean, you're now, since 2020, 3-2 in the UFC. I mean, you're just an average fighter, but Yasmin Lucindo. The takedown game was on point for the, however long it lasts. I mean, Yasmin was able to wrap up three minutes of control time. Total for the fight, that's not a lot, but I mean, she, round one was very close. I, Poliana might actually won it, but Yasmin locked in in round two, landed a takedown, and lost, I was going to say straddled, <laughs> that's not the right word, locked in the arm triangle and gets the victory. Good for Yasmin Lucindo. I also predicted she would win, so that made me happy. As for Poliana Viana, you can go back to uh, cuddling with Colby Covington. They would see the picture of those two. That is Poliana from that, uh, what, are they, what are they called, the uh, Matt Princess or something? I have no idea, but happy for Yasmin Lucindo. We'll see what's next for her at Women's Strawweight which actually has a title fight this upcoming weekend, so that's exciting stuff in that division. But let's move into the next fight, which was my most anticipated fight of the evening. In the light heavyweight division, Khalil Roundtree welcomed Chris Dawkins to the division. Khalil was ranked 13th at the time, I believe. He actually made a jump. We'll get to that in a bit. But yes, Khalil Roundtree gets a 2 minute 40 second stone gold knockout of Chris Dawkins. Wow. Wow, I knew Khalil was going to win, but I just can't believe Chris Dawkins actually got knocked out again. I do feel bad for him of sorts, but I picked Khalil to win, so I was very happy. And Khalil is now on a four-fight win streak with two performance bonuses, including one for this one. He got the fourth and final performance bonus. Very deserved, I will say. Very deserved from Khalil Roundtree. In his four-fight win streak, three of those fights are finishes, so looking good for him. He could be moving up. He was calling for a main event after his win. I completely agree. I say give it to him. I say give it to him. I love it. 
As for Chris Dawkins, he is now on a four-fight losing streak. Been knocked out in every single one of those fights. Yeah, it's uh, oof, tough going for uh, Chris Dawkins. But uh, he, he pushes on. But, I mean, this, this was all about Khalil Roundtree. Khalil looked like a animal here. Scary, man. That boy hits hard. He's also jacked. He's got, he's got beautiful six-pack, beautiful beautiful pectoral muscles. I mean, Khalil Roundtree Jr. has got it going on. and could be getting a main event in his next fight. We'll get to that once we talk about the rankings and we move on. I mean, we got to keep moving on, all right? Because we got a whole, we got UFC 292 to cover. So we're just going to move on to probably, I don't want to use too, too drastic words, but one of the biggest, if not the biggest robbery of all time, where a fighter blatantly lost and won. A fighter blatantly lost and won the fight. Cub Swanson beats Hakeem Dawado. 29-28 across the board, and I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. He got outstruck in every single round. Okay. Now, round one, he did have better striking percentage strikes in favor by six to Hakeem. I think Hakeem took round one. Round two, Cub did have more total strikes, only had one less significant strike. Hakeem did have two minutes and 22 seconds of control time, but we'll give Cub the benefit of the doubt for round number two. And round number three, Cub got outstruck by 20 significant strikes, got out significant struck by 11. He did have one takedown for a minute and 21 seconds of control time, but Hakeem had 50 seconds of control time. So those 30 seconds didn't really make a huge difference. Total stats, 95 significant strikes, Hakeem, 77 Cub. First off, Hakeem wasn't even bloody or anything. Cub was the one with some swelling. 129 total strikes for Hakeem, 107 for Cub. Cub landed a takedown from, he got a minute and 25 seconds of total control time. Hakeem had three minutes and 10 seconds. Hakeem won in every category in my book. Even total striking percentage. And somehow Cub got the decision. The judges were not good. And I unfortunately did not go 5-1. and one. I go 4-2 and two on my picks at this point. I was 3-2. and two. Man, oh man. Gets robbed, Cub. Now on a one-fight winning streak. As for Hakeem... Sadly, falls on a two-fight losing streak. One and three now in his last four. Oh, blatant, blatant robbery. I'm not even going to say what's next because, quite frankly, I could have said Hakeem could have been fighting up, but he's not. He's not. Cub Swanson gets a bogus decision. His kids were happy, though, so that does make me smile, knowing that they didn't have to see Cub get knocked out again. But, ah, uh, Hakeem got robbed. I will say that again. Hakeem Dawado got robbed. But I'll tell you what wasn't a robbery. The main event. That's right. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about the main event. Vicente Luque took on Rafael Dos Anjos in a five-rounder. And to everyone's dismay, it was a boring five-rounder. Not as bad as Sanhagen versus uh, um, uh, Rob Fod, but certainly not the most exciting. So far, 0 for 2 on excitement in our August main events. I do believe Sterling and O'Malley will change that. But Vicente Luque back in the win column. Rafael Dos Santos, unfortunately, now on a losing streak for him. I was one of the people that scored at 49-46 for um, Luque, so I agree with Maron McCarthy. Sade Mato and Junichiro Camillo gave it 48-47. To Vicente. So they gave Rafael an extra round, which I'm not too mad about. But Rafael uh, outstruck him by one insignificant strikes. Round one total strikes was dead even. 
Round two, Vicente had one more significant strike. He had like 18 more total strikes. Round three, seven more for Vicente in significant strikes. Outstruck him. Rafael only outstruck him by insignificant strikes in round five and one. So he could have won those two rounds. But every time I looked, turned on the fight, Vicente was dominating. He racks up a career best eight takedowns, 12 minutes of control time. So you got to give him a minimum of two rounds for that control time. Total strikes, 138. So he did have like 30 or 40 something more than Rafael. And he had like six more significant strikes. But this was Vicente Luque's fight returning after a year off from a blame bleed. It was a miracle he even got in the octagon. So I knew he was going to play it somewhat safe, unfortunately. But hey, if you're going to turn to a grappler, now's the time on a two-fight losing streak. Happy for Vicente. He's back in the back in the wing column. As for Rafael dos Anjos, I'm surprised he's still not kicked off the lightweight rankings. But uh, we'll, we'll talk. Let's get to these rankings, actually. But very happy for Vicente. The rankings did update today. That is August 15th. And with Vicente's win, he will now move up no positions. I thought he should have jumped up to nine, but I guess not. As for what's next for him, I was people see I was seeing people say Kevin Holland, which you could do. I personally fancy a Sean Brady fight, maybe even a Wonder Boy Stephen Thompson fight. I like both those options, but that's just how I view it. As for Rafael dos Anjos, I have no comments, man. I don't know what he expects. All right, he's Losing to Vicente Luque, losing to Rafael Faziv. I, I don't think he can hang with the best. I mean, he has that one win over Brian Barbarina and Paul Felder. But other than that, I don't really know what you do with Rafael dos Anjos. Maybe a fight with Jack Della Maddalena. Pad, pad the stats or something for a young up-and-comer. Who knows? We'll see. I mean, if he returns the lightweight, I mean, I like a Jalen Turner fight for him. I don't know about anyone else. I like that fight. Maybe I just want to see Rafael get knocked out personally. That's just me. <laughs> At lightweight, Dan Hooker did pass Rafael Dos Anjos, so Dan's up to nine. Does Dan have a fight booked? I don't think so. How about we do Dan Hooker versus Benil Dariush? I like that fight. Why not? Why not? All right. The big shift was that light heavyweight Johnny Walker now tied with Nikita Krylov for six as Khalil Roundtree jumps up to 11 Dominic Reyes down to 13. Azamat Mirzakhanov down to 12. I will say, I will say, I think Khalil Roundtree versus any guy above him will be good, but I was seeing people say a Jan Blahovic main event, and I love it. I love it. I would love to see him versus Jan Blahovic. Very, very good fight right there if it were to be made. Tatiana Suarez passes Jan Chayonen in the women's pound-for-pound rankings. Just notable that Tatiana is moving up. I mean, they're definitely trying to make her the next contender in the women's strawweight division. Other than that, no other changes to the rankings. We do have a number of ranked fighters, potential up-and-comers, fighting this Saturday at UFC 292, but as for this card, it gets it gets a B. It gets a B. It, it could have finished well, but it did have its duds. Every fight that went the distance was not really entertaining. If I could have given out a fight of the night, I did maybe say Cub Swanson, Hakeem DeWoto, but it certainly doesn't warrant any argument that it should get one. Shout out to everyone that got performance bonuses. I do think that Isaac Dalgarian should have got one. 
And honestly, honestly, everyone who got a finish looked pretty dominant. Jacqueline Amorum had the most dominant finish. So, I mean, yeah, dominant performance in my opinion. That's how it goes. That was UFC Vegas 78. It was fun. I did have fun watching it. But when a main event ends so dull, it does leave a bit of a dull taste in your mouth. So, we'll leave that in the past and look forward to UFC 292, which I am just thrilled is going down. We're going to cover all the fights. I believe it's at, it's up to 12 or, it's either up to 12 or 11 at the moment. We'll see. I'm aware it is Tuesday, so a lot can happen between weigh-ins and fighters pulling out, but... We're going to give our predictions as of Tuesday, since I won't have time to record another episode. So yes, without ado, let's dive in to UFC 292. I'm aware that rhymed. So our fourth and final UFC pay-per-view of the summer happens this weekend, going down in Boston. Very happy to be back. One of the downfalls, I'll say, of this card is that we will not be having Rob Font. Or Calvin Cater, two Boston natives. I mean, Rob Palm was supposed to be on here, here and decide to fight. Corey Sanhagen did not work out for him. And as for Calvin, I don't know what's going on with Calvin Cater. Balance some injuries or something. But nonetheless, let's let's dive into this card because there's a lot to live up to. It does. 289 was decent. 290 was amazing. And 291 was perfection. So we've been building up to hopefully what should be a good card. I don't know what the final main card's going to look like, look like, so I'm not going to write down the official predictions book. But I do have what I believe is the main card ready. So, without a doubt, let's dive in. Just kicking off with the prelims, and as you guessed it, a woman's fight opens the card is this time, as always, in the women's flyweight division, as Kareen Silva takes on Marina Moroz. Marina has a two-inch height advantage other than that. Pretty similar in all categories. Marina is coming off a loss to Jennifer Maya. Before that, she had been on a three-fight win streak since 2020. She's 2-1 and one with a fight of the night against Myro Bueno Silva and a performance of the night arm triangle finish of Maria Agapova. But yeah, she hasn't fought since November of 2022. Been a minute since we saw Marina Moroz in the octagon. Happy to have her back. I believe she's actually from Ukraine. So, probably fighting with some passion, because who know, who actually knows what's going on over there in Europe? She takes on Kareen Silva, who is 16-4, 2-0 in the UFC, 3-0 if we include the Contender Series, all submissions. I mean, she debuted in June of last year against Poliana Botello, Darce choked her in round one. She's fought once this year in June against Ketlin Souza, submitter. It says other lock. I, I don't even know what she actually submitted her with. It says lock on ground Z-lock. I don't know what she submitted Ketlin Sosa with, but I know Kareen Silva is super good for everything. I've seen her nickname's Killer. Right? She better walk out to um, uh, some, uh, some um, what am I thinking of? The Killers, their song. What is it? Jealousy, turning snakes into... I'm mind blanking right now. I literally listen to that song all the time. And I can't think of the name of it. Uh, somebody? I'd, who knows what I'm saying. But yes, Kareen Silva, I predict, will submit Marina Moroz because she submitted everyone else she's fought. Keeping it rolling in women's flyweight territory. Actually, I should see. Is Marina Moroz ranked at women's flyweight? She is not. Well, I'll tell you who is ranked. 
Number 13, Andrea Lee. That's right, number 13, Andrea Lee takes on Natalie Silva, not to be confused with Kareen. Although Natalie and Kareen are both on the rise. Andrea Lee has a two-inch height advantage over Natalie Silva and a four-inch reach advantage. Kareen, I mean, Natalie Silva. Gosh, I'm going to get their names all mixed up. 26 years old as she takes on Andrea. Natalie is on her own little three-fight win streak in the UFC, 15-5-1. Overall, most notably, she is coming off of a round-one knockout punch of Victoria Leonardo in May of this year. Before that, she had a spinning back-kick knockout of Teresa Bleda in November of last year. Andrea Lee, her opponent she's fighting, she's um, coming off of two decision losses, most notably, Last time out in March against Macy Barber, she lost the split decision. Before that, she had been on a little two-fight win streak. She's 13-7 and seven overall, been in the UFC since 2018. I mean, I'd say her most notable fight has probably been against Lauren Murphy, maybe? Joanne Wood? I don't know. Andre Lee, I'm sorry. You're kind of on the come down. You know, come up, come down, and I predict that Nellie Silva will knock you out. So I'm going with Kareem Silva and Nellie Silva to both get round one or round two finishes of Marina Moros and Andrea Lee, respectively. So yeah, two two very good women's flyweight fights, might I add. Those two should be very good. If they are not, you can come back to this podcast and leave a terrible review on it. Let me tell you, that's how confident I am this is going to be good. Uh, moving on to the middleweight division, this fight I am just ecstatic for. Okay, Andre Petrovsky is back this time. He takes on Gerald Mearshart. Andre Petrovsky is from the Brian Ortega Alexander Volkanovsky season of the Ultimate Fighter, and he is super good. Before we check out the records, let's go over the height. So, height wise, Gerald has. Just an inch on him, so very similar. But four inches in reach will be notable. Andre is four years younger than him. Gerald in, th- in the southpaw. Andre, more of a switch stance fighter. So, I mean, very different. And get this, Andre Petrovsky, 9-2 and two professional record. Gerald, 35-16. and 16. Gerald has fought them all, seen it all. He's been in the UFC since 2016, but he's been fighting long since then. Currently, coming off a loss to Joe Pfeiffer earlier this year in April, he got knocked out round one. But before that, he had guillotine choked Bruno Silva. I mean, there was at one point he was on a three-fight win streak, all of them submissions. And I'll tell you, he has a lot of submission victories. Fun fact, of all his UFC victories, which there have been one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten UFC victories, nine have been by submission. Only one came by a knockout. So he's never gone the distance and won in the UFC. He has gone the distance and lost. And, I mean, he's also the guy that Hamzat Shemaev knocked out in 17 seconds. So, I mean, Gerald's just bought the ball. But Andre Petrovsky, very happy. That's right. Andre is 4-0 and in the UFC. Two finishes to his name. Wins over Wellington Terman, Nick Masimov. Michael Gilmore, I just, he's fought some good up-and-comers. Hasn't fought since November 2022. We'll see how that affects him. I don't think it will. I think he gets a submission victory over Gerald Mearshart or goes the distance. One of those two. 
this is a very big test for Andre to see if he can hang with some higher level middleweights as he hasn't fought the highest level himself. But I will be looking forward to that. And then we get into our tough 31. That is the ultimate fighter finale for lightweight between Austin Hubbard and Kurt Holobo. When you guys are listening to this, you will know who Brad Katona is fighting on this event in the bantamweight finale. But I don't at the moment. So I'm going to predict it's Rico DeCilio. That That's my prediction. But as for our lightweight finale, Austin Hubbard and Kurt Holobo both have earned their way back. Austin's got an inch in height. He's also five years younger. Kurt's got an inch in reach. He also has had more professional fights. They kind of match up well. So, Kurt, let's see if they have his UFC tenure. They do. So, Kurt fought in Strike Force. I mean, he was on that first episode of Dana White's Contender Series. Fought in the UFC in 2013 and 2018 and 2019. He has just fought all around. Fought Pat Healy in his uh, Strike Force debut. Lost unanimous decision. Lost in 2013. On Dana White's Contender Series, he had his victory overturned to a no contest. He's been knocked out by Rayoni Barcelos. He's been armbarred by Shane Burgos. And he's been outgrappled by Tiago Moises. Kurt Holwell has fought some good competition, it appears. But yet to get a win in the UFC. He has won the Ultimate Fighter, though. So good for him. As for his opponent, Austin Hubbard. I mean, you're looking at a guy who grew up. <laughs> grew up. Who started watching. The, I'm not saying grew up on him, no. Um, who started watching the UFC in 2020. And I recognize the name for Austin. Hubbard. So, Austin, I mean, since 2020, fought Mark Madsen, got out grappled. Fought Max Rokspokov, got an, oh, that was a weird fight where Max stopped fighting. That was a weird fight. Austin Hubbard, Max Rokspokov. Max was losing, heading into round three. Refused to get off the stool. Austin Hubbard gets the TK win. Very weird there. Got submitted by Joe Selecki. Beat Dakota Bush in 2021, but after suffering a defeat to Vink Pichel in August of 2021, he would not be re-signed by the UFC. I know how good Austin Hubbard is. I don't really know how good Kurt Holbo is. He hasn't won the UFC from what I've seen. But I will be predicting Austin Hubbard to win the lightweight ultimate fighter. And I think Brad Katona can win the ultimate fighter, no matter what. I think Brad Katona is super good. So, there's that. And um, yeah, we keep it rolling with another middleweight fight. So many middleweight fights. This time we have Dennis Tululin Tululin taking on Gregory Rodriguez. Gregory is back. I don't know if he's fun since he got brutally KO'd earlier this year. He has not. We'll see how he rebounds. Gregory has a two inch height advantage. It's Dennis Tululin with the three inches. The two inches in reach. 77 inches to 75. Dennis is coming off a loss to Jun Young. Park got submitted earlier this year. Other than that, he has a finish of Jamie Pickett. And he lost to Alish Kabab Karizov in his debut. Tough fights for Dennis to start off his career. And they don't get much easier in Gregory Rodriguez, who's 13-5 overall. In the UFC, he is 4-2. He came from the Contender Series. He has a fight of the night, a knockout punch of Jun Young Park. He's dropped a split decision to Armin Petrosian. Knocked out Julian Marquez in round one. Knocked out Chidi and Chukwe. And oof, that Chidi and Chukwe fight, one of the craziest comebacks I've ever seen at Sanhagen versus Font Fight Night in uh, September 2022. 
nasty split down the forehead of Gregory Rodriguez or by his eyebrows. Just a terrible cut. Almost got finished in round one. That was one of my favorite comebacks. And earlier this year, though, he got knocked out by undefeated prospect at the time, Bruno Ferreira. He's back now, and I, I think he gets a unanimous decision finish. Uh, actually, unanimous decision victory over Dennis or a knockout. I don't see Dennis beating Gregory. I do think Gregory can rebound. RoboCop is super good. Love watching him fight. And then we get into our main prelim, another middleweight fight. And I don't know exactly if this is if this will be on the main card as of right now it is not and I don't think it will be but the return of Chris Chris Weidman after over 850 days since he broke his um leg ankle knee whatever he snapped his foot his foot his leg curved around Uriah Hall's it was brutal I'm happy he's back he's taking on Brad Tavares this is a miracle he's even able to fight again Chris, 78 inches in reach. Brad Tavares, 74, so he's got the reach advantage. And he's got an inch in height, so good for him. Chris was born June 17th, 1984. 39 years years old this year. As for Brad Tavares, he is currently, he was born December 21st, 1987, making him... Was he 36? I believe. I believe he's 36, turning 37 this year or something. I don't know. But Brad is coming off of a loss to Bruno Silva. Got a, actually, Bruno Silva. Yes. Didn't we just mention Bruno? I swore we mentioned. Oh, Bruno Silva is taking on Shara the Bullet. See, we talked about that earlier in the podcast, and we tie it back like we do. But yeah. Brad coming off a knockout loss earlier this year in April. Got finished in three and a half minutes. On a two-fight losing streak, so hopefully Brad can rebound. I mean, he's been in the UFC since 2010. He's fought some absolute killers. I mean, he actually holds losses to Yo Romero and Robert Whitaker. And there's a lot of Sonya. He hasn't really beaten too many people. Brad's been near the top, but never quite there. But as for Chris Weidman, who's coming off that loss to Uriah Hall, but I mean, do we even consider that a loss? It should not be. Here's a guy who comes into the UFC undefeated and knocks out Anderson Silva. That is right. Chris Weidman was the man to end Anderson Silva's reign at top. And he would actually beat him in the rematch when the same thing that happened to Uriah Hall happened to Anderson Silva against Chris Weidman. It's poetic. I don't think it's a form of karma. It's just a form of, wow, wow, that just happened. He's had a fight of the night um, title defense over Leo Machida and a performance of the night round one TKO of Vitor Belfort. He, of course, would lose the belt to Luke Rockhold, get flying knee against Joel Romero, get knocked out with the knee against Gegard Masai. He would arm triangle Kelvin Gastelum before losing a fight of the night in TKO in round three against Jacare Souza. Moving up to light heavyweight, he would get finished by Dominic Reyes in round one in uh, October of 2019. And then he would be Omari Makhmedov in 2020. And since then, no. After the Uriah Hall incident, he's just been recovering. But after close to 900 days, he's back. And I hope he's better than ever. Because guess what? I'm picking Chris Weidman to get the unanimous decision victory. He's talking about winning the title again. I don't think that's going to happen, Chris. But I do hope and think you can just get this victory here. 
And it's incredible, incredible seeing Vicente Luque recover from a brain bleed, seeing Chris Weidman return from just about never being able to walk again with an injury like that. It is so impressive to see him back. So I am going with Weidman by decision, turning on that grappling and beating Brad Tavares. If Brad wins, I'll be very sad. Me, just personally, just personally, I'll be super sad. But yeah, those are the prelims. Shall we uh, recount our picks? We got Kareem Silva, Natalie Silva, Andre Pachowski, Austin Hubbard, Brad Katona versus whoever he fights, Gregory Rodriguez, and Chris Weidman. I like all those picks. I feel like I could go undefeated again on the prelims. But this is a very good main card. I've been very excited for it. So let's dive in. I got some more time here, and we'll let you know who I think is going to win this Saturday. So kicking off this uh, main card, if you want to call it that, which is what it is, we're heading to the bantamweight division where we were supposed, we were supposed to have Marlon Vera versus Henry Cejudo, but Henry decided to pull out. So instead, we get number six ranked Marlon Vera against number ten ranked Pedro Munoz, which I still think is a very good substitute in its place, and should get the crowd pumping. All right, Marlon Vera has two inches in height. And a notable five inches in reach. Wow, he's also six years younger than Pedro the Young Punisher Munoz, who's not very young anymore. He's coming off a win over Chris Gutierrez in April of 2023 this year. For that, he had had a no contest against Sean O'Malley, a fight of the night lost to Dominic Cruz, a loss to Jose Aldo, fight of the night victory over Jamie Rivera, and a fight of the night loss against Frank Yeager. He also lost Aljamain Sterling Pedro. Been in the UFC since 2014. He had um, once been on a four-fight win streak. Also been on a three-fight win streak. But as of late, just hasn't been able to get it going as of sorts. He's been fighting some tough guys. But hey, he beat Chris Gutierrez, which was very impressive. The exact opposite case for Marlon Vera, who had been on a four-fight winning streak, beating Davey Grant in a fight of the night, knocking out Frankie Edgar in a performance bonus. Fighting the night against Rob Font and a performance bonus finish against Dominic Cruz. He had been on fire until earlier this year in March. He had lost a split decision, which is probably a unanimous decision, in favor of uh, Corey Sanhagen, that is. Corey Sanhagen just outbested him in the grappling department on the ground. Marlon Vera was winning the feet exchanges, which is very notable. But yeah, unfortunate for Marlon, his um, streak was snapped. I mean, this guy's been in the UFC since 2014. He's approaching year 10. He's fought so many good people. So many performance bonuses. I mean, he's been on five fight win streaks. I mean, there's that one point he probably should have been on like a seven fight win streak, but he lost a uh, unanimous decision to Song A Dong, which a lot of people thought he won. He's also been the only person so far to beat Sean O'Malley, finished him in round one. So. Marlon Vera is very good, and I think he'll get the unanimous decision victory over Pedro Munoz. That's right. Marlon Vera beats Pedro Munoz by unanimous decision. And once he wins that, I think he'll be bumped up to number five in the rankings. And Sean O'Malley said, if I beat Aljamain Sterling and Marlon Vera beats Pedro Munoz, that's a big fight to make for December. And talk about selling a future fight. I'm here for it. I love it. Take my money. Take my money. Should put that on a shirt. I'm writing that down, man. I've been I have some good ideas for um shirts, don't I? Chain brother, he overachieving. 
I gotta write all this down or I'm gonna forget. <laughs> Anyways, moving on to another bantamweight fight on the main card, which was supposed to be Cody Garbrandt versus Mario Batista. But instead, Mario Batista will take on on seven days turnaround. Damon Blackshear. That is right. I mentioned earlier he's turning around. This is crazy. This is crazy. Blackshear, we talked about him earlier on the podcast, and now we're already predicting his next fight. He's got that dog in him. Coming off a twister finish. Very impressive stuff. I bet he will do good, maybe. I don't know. I like Damon Blackshear now, but Mario Batista is an animal on a four-fight win streak. Three of those round one submissions. Round one submissions. That's right. He's coming off a of March 11th, 2023 rear naked chokehold of Guido Canete in just over three minutes. And spent the UFC since 2019. Since his debut, he's six and two. Lost his debut to Corey Sanhagen. Able to look past that. He followed that up with a fight of the night and a performance bonus. He then did get knocked out by Trevin Jones in March of 2021. But he would take almost a year off, come back in February of 2022. Since then, has looked unstoppable. I predicted he would submit Cody Garbrandt. I'm predicting that he can actually finish DeMond Blackshear with a submission. I think DeMond, this is a quick turnaround for him. I don't think he's no Hamza Chemaev with a little seven-day turnaround. But who am I to say? I will be rocking with Mario Batista. I can't go back. I like Mario Batista. He's one of my favorite unranked bantamweights, in my personal opinion. And I also remember when he used to make Guido Canetti. It was very impressive. <laughs> All right, let's um, move. And what this should have been Mario Batista's coming out party of sorts into the bantamweight rankings with a win over Cody Garbrandt. He could have moved up. I don't know if a win over Demond Blackshear will do the same. Moving on to the welterweight division, where we have number 11-ranked Neil Magny taking on number 13, Ian Machato, Gary Machato, Gary. That's right, Neil Magny steps in for Jeff Neal on 10 days' notice. Wow. Wow, I can't believe it. Did I cover this last time? I can't even remember. I don't feel like I did. But who knows? Neil Magny's coming off a split decision, boring fight against Phil Rowe. He beat him in a... June of 2023. Before that, he lost in January at UFC 283. He got submitted in round one by Gilbert Burns. But, I mean, Neil's been doing his thing. I mean, he has losses to Gilbert and Shavkat, but he has wins over Jeff Neal, Max Griffin, Daniel Rodriguez, and Phil Rowe. And the ultimate gate-taker, that is Neil Magny. I mean, he's defended his spot against so many people. So, obviously, he lost to Michael Chiesa, all right? But before that, he had... Beaten Lee Jing Leung, beaten Anthony Rocco Martin, beaten Robbie Lawler. After Michael Chiesa, he beats Jeff Neal, beats Max Griffin, gets brutalized by Shafkat, but then follows that up with a performance over Daniel. So, Daniel Rodriguez, that is. No Magni, the ultimate gatekeeper. He takes on the surging 12 0 Ian Gary. And I mean, whew. Whew. 5 0 in the UFC. Three of those finishes coming off of a round one knockout of Daniel Rodriguez. Speak of the man in under three minutes at um, uh, UFC Fight Night in uh, May. Rosenstruck versus Almeida in May of this year. I remember that because I'm pretty sure I was at prom with my girlfriend being a, being a good boyfriend that I am. Ian is only 25 years of old. He's been calling. He was saying that the whole reason this card is going to do successful is because he's on it. Most people think he's cocky. Maybe he is, but I like Ian Gary. Ian Gary, by uh, 
I I don't know if Neil Neil's a very good chin, which makes me want to pick Ian Gary, but I might go Ian Gary by decision. Who knows? I might switch to knockout last a minute. I'll have to post my verdict uh, picks or something, or just follow me on Verdict ZR two thousand two. So yeah, Ian Gary will be my pick. I I think he can easily use his range to outbox Neil Magny. Show that he can truly hang with the guys at the top because he's surging up fast. And if Car McGregor beats Michael Chandler, and Ian Gary isn't in the top ten, you bet you bet your butt we could be heading over to Ireland for a massive UFC card. I would love to go to Ireland. Uh, we haven't really gone to many European countries, have we? We've only gone since I started watching. We've only gone to London, I think it is, in um, in Asia, Singapore, um, Bay, China. I don't know. We need to do UFC China, even though I don't really like what's going on over there. I won't say anything. I don't want to get canceled. So, all right, we have all that said and done. And for the first time since UFC 290, we could finally talk about a UFC belt. The BMF belt does not count as we head to the women's strawweight division as the champion, the number three woman pound-for-pound-wise, Zhang Wei Li. Takes on the number five contender, Amanda Lemos, number 14 in the women's pound four. Pound, I'm so happy that Young Wei Li is fighting. It's been almost a year. In fact, for Amanda Lemos, I don't even think she's fought this year. It's been, she last fought in November as well. So, been a while since these ladies have fought last. And I haven't seen a woman, I, you rarely see women's title fights. I mean, there's only three divisions. We're lucky if we can get them all to fight twice a year, for goodness sake. So anyways, let's get into the tale of the tape. They both are the same height, but two inches in reach for Mandalimos is the only notable thing that's sticking out to me. Zhang Weili, 23-3 and three professionally. Amanda Limos, 13-2 and 1. Amanda Limos is getting this title shot over round two guillotine performance of the night bonus against Michelle Watterson and of her last and most recent victory, a f- Fight night wasn't the fight of the night. Um, TKO, standing TKO against Marina Rodriguez, which dang near broke my heart. I can't believe Marina Rodriguez fell off. All right, and you know, UFC wise, I mean, she lost her debut in 2017 to Leslie Smith. That was six years ago. That's relevant. Since then, she followed it up with five straight wins before getting standing arm triangled against Jessica Andrade. Looking past that, she's seven and two in the UFC. She is she is super impressive. Amanda Limos is a worthy opponent to fight Zhang Weili. But worthy. Worthy does not make you suitable to take the crown from my Asian queen that is Zhang Weili on a two-fight winning streak. Both round two finishes. Both performance bonuses. You're looking at the two-time women's straw weight champion of the world, Zhang Weili. So impressive. Look, she's got... Then the minute knockout against Rose Namajunas where she was head kicked. That's unfortunate. She followed that up by losing a split decision, which she could have won potentially. But that's of the past. That was in 2021. Last year in 2022, she knocked out her rival, Joanna Jaon Jacek. And then she submitted Carla Esparza. And by the way, that first fight against Johanna Jaon Jacek is one of the greatest fights of all time. Definitely the greatest woman's fight of all time at UFC 248. And before that... Mind you, she beat Jessica Andrade in China for the belt in 42 seconds. Knocked her out. I mean, Zhang Weili is an absolute dog. I don't know how she's going to end it. 
Maybe she'll knock Amanda Lemos out. Maybe she'll submit her. Maybe she'll just dominate her for five rounds. I don't know. But this is my lock of the night, Zhang Weili. I will be very surprised if Amanda Lemos wins. And I'll be sad. All right? I think I did a loyal to the belt on Zhang Weili. I don't know if I did. But if we're talking about am I loyal to the woman's strawweight belt or to Zhang Weili, I am loyal to Zhang Weili. All day. All day. I love you, Zhang Weili. Zhang Weili's my pick. Plus, I like saying her name, Zhang Weili. Kind of has the nice ring to it of sorts. Anyways, enough gawking over our current woman's strawweight champion who's so dominant. She's, she's scary. She's she's a scary five foot four Chinese champion. My goodness. She would beat me up. She would beat a majority of men up. Wow. Anyways, let's move into one of the biggest fights of the year. All right, this is definitely top five, I mean. The hype around Sean O'Malley. He's supposed to be the next big guy. He's supposed to be the next big thing if you want to. He's got the hair. He's got the flashy KOs. He's got the following on social media. My goodness, millions of followers. And then you have the dominant champion, Aljamain Sterling, who no one's been able to crack the code in this new 2.0 version of him. It's crazy. The UFC bantamweight title bout, the belt's on the line. First fight of the year for Sean. Second for Aljamain Sterling. Aljamain has been racking up some title defenses. Most people don't see him as an official champion. All of his title belts have had some controversy. Split decisions. People didn't think he won. Fighters with one arm. DQ. Victories to win the belts. But that's all in the past. Let's dive in. All right. The the biggest thing you're going to see here is the height. Sean O'Malley's got four inches in height on him. Reach-wise, he's only got one, one inch and. Age-wise, he's five years younger. But let's look at the careers of Sean and Aljamain Sterling, because this is this is the big, the big, the big shebang. If you wanna, all right. Sean O'Malley fought on the second episode of season one of Dana White's Contender Series. Got a round one finish of Alfred Kazakhstan. That's not his last name. I do apologize. But that's the infamous Snoop Dogg O'Malley. O'Malley. If you know what I'm talking about, everyone's just listening to this. Like, what's this What's this dude yapping about? But if you want to look it up, you know. He'd follow that up, beating Terry on where. And then UFC 222, he has a fight in the night win over Andre Sukamath. Showed some discipline. And the first fight I saw of him live was at UFC 248, where he knocked out Jose Quinones in two minutes. He followed it up with one of the craziest KOs I've ever seen live. UFC 250. Eddie Wineland, just under two minutes, put him out cold on his back. I loved it. And then, and then Marlon Vera would finish him, and the hype would come to an end. O'Malley would disappear until March of 2021, where he would come back with a dominant performance bonus win over Thomas Almeida. Just about dang near retired him. He'd follow that up with... A fight of the night, which was just essentially Sean O'Malley punch. He treated Chris Moutinho like a punching bag. It was brutal. Oh, my gosh. Chris Moutinho was torn to pieces. It just showed how good Sean O'Malley is. He'd cap off his perfect, keyword perfect, 2021 with a round one TK of Raleen Paiva. Following that in 2022, a interesting no contest against Pedro Munoz, where Pedro got poked in the eye and quit fighting like a bum. All right. You know, you wonder why Pedro's opening the card and Sean O'Malley's in the main event 
if that ain't funny how it works out. And arguably the biggest win of his career, the reason he's in this main event, is his split decision fight of the night victory over Piotr Jan at UFC 280. It is actually a very good fight. It is legit a close fight. I had Piotr Jan winning personally, but I love that Sean O'Malley got the victory. And he, he showed he's legit. Sean O'Malley showed he's legit, showed he belonged. Man, you just gotta, I gotta give respect where it's due. Sean O'Malley is a legit champ. Oh my gosh, I'm already saying legit champion. I mean a legit challenger. He's um cer certainly suitable, and he doesn't see himself as having a loss. He sees himself as undefeated. He says that Marlon Vera loss doesn't count because he got injured. We'll we'll see what the if he actually becomes champion because his nemesis is opening the card, and he's main eventing. So lots of storylines, but let's get into our champion. Our defending champion, Aljamain Sterling, is currently on a nine-fight win streak. He looks to make it ten. And fun fact, in his UFC debut, he actually beat Cody Gibson, the same Cody Gibson, who I am about to watch soon on the Contenders, not the Contenders series, the Ultimate Fighter, fight Rico Decilli. I'm going to go watch this after I finish recording this, so you guys will know the result by the time this is uploaded. But yeah, he'd start off his UFC career 4-0. He would have been undefeated still by then. He would then, unfortunately, have back-to-back split-decision losses to Brian Caraway and Rafael Sonso. He'd pick up two wins after that, but then something happened that would change the course of his career. Wilder Marais would knock him out with one of the nastiest knockouts in a minute. Marlon Marais would finish him. That was at uh, UFC Fight Night. Swanson versus Ortega in a minute and seven seconds. Marlon Marais knocked him out with a knee. I mean, essentially, he drops him, lets him back up, throws just like a simple low kick. The knee hits Aljamain's face, and he literally just falls asleep and goes to the side. One of the nastiest knockouts I've seen. But then we got the Aljamain Sterling we've been waiting to see. Beats Brett Jones. Sulav stretches Cody Stammen, one of the rare submissions you'll ever see. Shows some striking against Jimmy Rivera. Lands 174 significant strikes against Pedro Munoz using his striking. In my first fight I ever saw of him, submitted Corey Sanhagen, earning himself a performance bonus in a minute and 28 seconds. And then we get into the controversy. He's obviously losing to Piotr Jan. Piotr Jan throws an illegal knee. Aljamain wins the belt. They rematch a year later. He wins a disputed split decision where even Dana White thought Purion won. Okay. Okay, let's move on from Purion. Let's have him fight TJ Dillashaw. Well, it turns out TJ Dillashaw is hiding a, br hiding a brutal arm injury and gets dang near 10-7 in round one. I think Aljamain Sterling did 10-7 TJ Dillashaw in round number one. Screw that. Let's have him fight Henry Cejudo coming off a layoff. Yeah, people thought Henry Cejudo beat him. I didn't. I thought Aljamain won that fight earlier this year at UFC 288. But hey, that's just me. That's just me personally. You know, I, I'm honestly, I came around to Aljamain. I used to not like him. You know, I obviously was a pure Jan fan. But then I knew he would beat TJ. And I just had that gut feeling he would beat Henry Cejudo. So you know I had to rock with him. Plus, I'm on a little heater right now I've predicted dating back to UFC 290 I've predicted every event since then right I predicted predicted Volk to win I predicted Myra Bueno Silva to win Tom Aspinall to win 
Justin Gaethje to win, Corey Sanhagen to win, Vicente Luque to win. So the pressure's on. The pressure's on for me to predict this main event correctly. Because don't get me wrong, I think John Wei Lee can beat Amanda Limos. I think Ian Gary can beat Neil Magny. I think Mario Batista can beat Damon Blackshirt. And I think Marlon Vera can beat Pedro Munoz to reiterate our picks. But how will I end this video? Let's end it with a to be continued. All right, to be continued, we'll get over this main event later. Okay. Psych, you already know. Aljamain's a dominant champion. Aljamain's yet to show any form of really weaknesses. I mean, even if he has shown some weaknesses in striking, he's made up for it in grappling. But this is the sugar show tonight. That's right. UFC 292 belongs to the show stopping, heart throbbing. O'Malley from downtown. Snoop Dogg loves to take it to Pound Town. That is right. Sugar Sean O'Malley by round one knockout. That's way too ambitious. I might say a Sean O'Malley unanimous decision. I don't know. Or maybe a knockout. I'm riding with Sean O'Malley, man. I can't help it. I gotta follow the hype. I don't like following the hype. I kind of like going against it. So then when the hype dies, you're on the other side. But I just, I gotta go with Sean O'Malley, man. I think he's got the stuff. And he, he's legit jujitsu. He showed great scrambling versus Piotr Jan. And even though Piotr Jan took him down six times, I mean, the, he defended seven of them. And he was able to avoid getting controlled too much. All right, the strike, the striking is obviously better than Aljamain's. But the game plan's simple. If it's on the feet, Sean's winning. If it's on the ground, Aljamain's not only going to win, but probably submit him. So this is truly a tale of two different styles clashing. And I'm here for it, man. I am here for it. But Shadow Valley is our official pick. We're waiting to see if the main card's official. Because obviously they can flip some things around even Friday after the weigh-ins. So we'll see. I'll probably wait till Saturday to write down in the official picks book. But we're buying this pay-per-view. We're watching it. The prelims are have so many good fighters on them. We have the two ultimate fighter finales. And of course, two title fights and you're about to watch the sugar show complete its run and win the ufc bantamweight championship that's all i got folks that's all i got one long episode this week covering a post uh, fight analysis of ufc vegas 78 and a pre-fight analysis of ufc 292 we mentioned a bit about the nfl went over some new rankings some new fights all sorts of fun activities on this podcast should be up Wednesday or Thursday. Thank you all for listening. I hope you follow these picks. If you want to make some money, I don't personally bet. I just pick these fights for fun because I enjoy watching the UFC. We're going to wor work to bring you some better quality content, maybe some more videos. But yeah, you can find me on all socials. I mean, follow the Surprise Jet Podcast on Instagram, on YouTube. You can follow me on Snapchat, Zach Ruger. Um, my personal Instagram, Zach Ruger. I think I have a TikTok at ZR2002 or ZTR2002. My verdict, ZR2002. Twitter, just search up my name or something. I mean, I, I'm all over. I'm here to listen to any criticism, any feedback. If you even want to appreciate, I will take that too. I would like some positive feedback. I really would. I did see we actually have a viewer from Belgium. I don't know if you still listen, friend, from uh, Brussels, Belgium, but... I appreciate you for listening. Thank you all very much for uh, listening to the pod, and I hope you were surprised. And as always, God bless.